presence of God transforms lives and heals hearts. Let's learn today truths on how we can access His presence and release heaven into our daily lives. Welcome to Manifest His Presence with your host, Dr. Candace Smithyman. Hello again, everybody. It's Pastor Adam, and uh, I have something for us today that I believe will, uh, you know, get us on the right course. If we're off course, it's going to get us on the right course. If we're on the right course, it's just going to reinforce to stay on the right course. So let's uh, acknowledge the Lord before we get into this. Father, we thank you for this day. We ask for your grace and mercy and forgiveness on us as we come forth, Father, to hear your word. Minister to us, Father God. Get it to sink deep into our bone and marrow, Father God, so that we stay on the right course following you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and how he shows us and leads us in the mighty and matchless name of Yeshua Yamashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. All right, so I titled this today, Drifting. Now, I got a a story here, a true story to kick us off, okay? So there, I don't know if you remember this guy from history, the English explorer, William Perry. He's the famous explorer and he went to the Arctic Ocean for the purpose to make charts and maps of that you know, area that was uncharted, uh, the North Pole. And when doing this, you know, I know a little bit about this because of my flying uh, time in the Navy. You need to calculate your location by the stars and planets using a sextant to get a fix on your position. I mean, I used the sextant when I first was learning in aviation. I had to shoot, use the sextant. We call it shooting the stars and shooting the planets to get a fix, to get a location. So when you do this, you need to calculate your location. Um, and they plotted their location and started on their journey northward where nobody had gone before. Now, these people, these guys walked for hours and finally they stopped because they were, well, you can imagine they were tired, they were exhausted. And so they'd stop and figure out their location by the stars and planets. And they determined they were further south than when they started. What had happened, they didn't realize this, they were on a huge block of ice that was moving south faster than they were walking north. (laughs) It's a true story. Now, I wonder how many of us think that our good deeds and good works are taking us step by step closer to God? What I'm suggesting, I'm not saying that that might not be true, but here's the deal. I think quite frequently we need to stop and take a fix, get a good location, just like William Perry's crew did, and admit sometimes we've been moving in the wrong direction. It makes me wonder how many have been so close to receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but haven't. As well as those that have received Jesus, but don't go any further towards God than just receiving Jesus. Now, the scriptures talk about this phenomenon. It's called drifting. It's a very unassuming and very easy thing to do, but it has severe consequences. And all we need to do to accomplish drifting is nothing or try and do it all without constant humility. And well, here's the deal. We will drift farther and farther from God. And, and that should get our attention because that's why it's so dangerous. 
Now, I'm going to kind of focus in the book of Hebrews today. And in the book of Hebrews, there is guidance addressed specifically for the drifters, those that are drifting. There are words written down in this book of Hebrews that need careful attention. Attention, And one of the things about them is they're kind of like a warning. I, I, you know, to me, it's, I've watched this too often. It's not enough that many reading these words appreciate Jesus Christ, but that we desire to embrace Jesus Christ in our faith and make a commitment to him. The book of Hebrews is a book filled with exhortations. Now, if, if you're not aware, or maybe you are, but just a reminder, an exhortation is like a motivation to keep going, a motivation to go forward, keep doing the right things you're doing and exhorting you to stop doing the wrong things you're doing, like to move forward. And this initial audience of the book of Hebrews were the Hebrews, were the Jews. Those Jews that you know grew up in Judaism knowing nothing but rituals and regulations. Now, they had heard about Jesus Christ, many of them. Many of them were told about Jesus Christ. And some of them even confessed Jesus Christ as their Savior. And yet there are others that were around them listening and interested in this Jesus person, the the guy they had called the Messiah. But they were not yet at the place to leave their own ritualism and become part of the Christian, you know, way of life the Christian church, so to speak. It was a call for commitment. So here, here's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Scripture tells us here, but be ever mindful of the days gone by in which after you were first spiritually enlightened, you endured a great and painful struggle, sometimes being yourselves a gazing stock, publicly exposed to insults and abuse and distress sometimes claiming fellowship and making common cause with others who were so treated. In other words, what this is telling us here is they became Christians, and when this manifested, they had become the new theater of the day, the people that were the ones getting made fun of. They were the spectacle of that day for all to see because they acknowledged and submitted to Jesus Christ as their Messiah and Lord. To some, they were considered traitors because they had walked away from Judaism. Some of the, these new Christians, after taking this abuse, were thinking, well, this kind of sucks. This isn't what I thought I was signing up for. Maybe I should just forget about this Christian thing and go back to where I was. It was a lot more peaceful for me. Right? I think a lot of Christians can relate to that. <laughs> just that same sentiment that these First converts from Judaism to Christianity we're experiencing here in the book of Hebrews. This book of Hebrews is a plea to not drift away from the harbor of salvation. In in the beginning of the book of Hebrews, it describes those who are on the brink of making the decision to bow their knee and acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But sadly, they don't get into that harbor of salvation. In other words, They're drifting along. They're out there like a boat drifting and they drift right past the gospel and they stay lost. But this also applies to those who have been, you know, close to Christ and those who have walked with Christ, but along the way have found themselves drifting away 
from the teachings and the lifestyle that Christ wants us to lead. In other words, there are some who have lost the joy of their salvation, some who have lost their first love, as Jesus described it in the book of Revelation to the church in Ephesus. That was in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Now, these people are hearing what is being said in the book of Hebrews, which is why you and I need to hear this today, because there are those same types of people that were in that audience then that are in our world today, and some probably possibly listening to this now. I mean, I can boldly say that because I don't normally find anyone or witness someone drifting toward holiness. It's rare. It, it, it's there, but it's rare. What I'm gifting, getting at is we don't drift towards God. We drift, you know, we don't drift towards a better prayer life. We don't drift towards reading the Bible and we don't drift towards obedience to the scripture. What we drift towards is compromise. We drift towards tolerance. We drift towards disobedience. And, and sadly, then we call it freedom. We call that liberty. I mean, we drift towards superstition and call it faith. We, we slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. But what we're really doing is drifting away from God. And, and I think this is a good time right here to mention the religious giants who, uh, you know, those that consider themselves that in our culture, who have a self-promoting agenda with an air of, well, I am holier than you kind of mentality. These are the types of folks who are hell-bent on controlling others at all costs, and it has nothing to do with the life that God granted us in Jesus Christ. These types of people are motivated by pride, fear, and insecurity, and it indicates a toxic and injurious pattern of, world, of a worldview that steals, kills, and destroys all joy, love, and peace if we allow that type of worldview to rule our hearts and minds. And, you know, I got to say this too. For, for those of us that are feeling a bit smug right now because, you know, you're totally convinced that you're not legalistic let, let me just pause for a moment right here. Jesus told us the road of following him is a very narrow road. That's the analogy used. It's a narrow path. That analogy then of using a path or a roadway implies that on the opposite side of the road, on each side of the roads, right, on each side is a ditch, can you picture that? A road with the ditch, right? The, the shoulder on each side that goes down. The road's on a higher plane and usually the ditch goes down some. So on one side, I suggest, I'm suggesting here, on one side of the road, there's a ditch that we could call the legalistic ditch. And on the other side of the road, right, this narrow road, narrow path, we could say that there's this ditch on the opposite side of the legalistic ditch that says anything in the name of Jesus kind of mindset can go. The the, the abuse of grace, you know, the grace ditch. There's a lot of abuse of grace currently going on in the Western culture Christianity. Some of these people, I'll call them the grace abuser type of people. You know what they are? They're formal legalists who have overcorrected from the straight jacket lifestyle on the legalistic ditch side 
to the other side of the road and they miss the road completely. Meaning they'll have nothing to do with any kind of restrictions now that they're free and can live in abundant grace. Well, it's this kind of audience that the writers of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, is trying to get us, he's trying to get our attention. He wants us to pay attention. And here's what I found out. Oftentimes people are blind and they're just out of balance as their legalistic opponents on, on the other side of the road. And the f- funny thing is, well, or maybe it's the sad thing, I don't know. It's either funny or sad. Maybe it's both. Is that both sides will call each other hypocrites. And you know what? <laughs> That's accurate. That's correct. I mean, if anyone wants to point out the flaw in the God is love and I can do whatever I want doctrine, you best be ready to hear this. Don't give me this body as a temple stuff. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I can quit anytime and I will do it when I feel like it. Just get off my back, you religious fanatic, and stop judging me, right? I mean, come on. Folks, true freedom, true liberty is always balanced by inspired responsibility. Let me say that again. True freedom, true liberty is always balanced by inspired responsibility. Those of us who who believe Jesus and partake of his words will be well-nourished and thriving in joyous relationship with God if we will apply that filter to how we live. These scriptures here in Hebrews tell us that drifting is always more away from something than it is towards something. So let's get into this again. Let's read some more scriptures about drifting. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what 2.1 says. I'm reading from the Amplified Version today. Hebrews 2.1 says, Since all this is true, we ought to pay close attention, closer attention than ever to the truths that we have heard, lest in any way we drift past them and slip away. Okay, that's, that's Hebrews 2.1. So right off the, the bat, this tells us drifting is irresponsible. There, there's, okay, so the way I look at this, look at a flashing like red light or however, yellow light, but caution, caution. These are warnings for us in the book of Hebrews. This, this part right here, it's warning because you can drift. You don't want to drift past them. And I'm, I'm hoping here, I'm asking you not to get offended, but we should take heed. We should listen. So we don't make the mistake the writer is warning us that others have made. We, in other words, maybe flip this and be grateful for the warning and not offended. And we're not to just take the information we are given and become smarter about Jesus, you know? This is given so that when you admitted you need Jesus and have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is always a requirement that comes to our heart to do something about what we have learned. Remember, remember again, this was written to the Jews and they were going back and forth about the benefits of salvation compared to the ritualism and sacrifices of the Mosaic law. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is encouraging the readers or this initial audience that he may be talking to, but it's also being penned and written down forever so that we can read it now. He's encouraging the readers to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. 
And, and what is extremely significant is in, in this Hebrews chapter two, beginning of that Hebrews chapter two, the first verse is the word since. Starts with since in the Amplified version. In other versions, it, it is, it'll say since or therefore, right? Depending on your version or your, your, the translation you use. So, okay, when you see a word like that, it kind of makes us inquire, why was that there? It's there, the word since or therefore is there to show us to look back from everything that was written just prior that they were learning about Jesus Christ. Okay, when you do that, then you see in the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, the writer is showing us about the gloriousness of Jesus Christ, the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, and that his dominion is from everlasting to everlasting. This Messiah, this Redeemer, Yeshua Yamashiach, Jesus, now supersedes the prophets of the Old Testament. Now, here's the deal. Too often, that does not mean, folks, that we do away with what those prophets spoke about in the Old Testament. No, it does not. Not by any means. It only means that the Messiah they prophesied about has arrived. And since Jesus, the Messiah, has arrived and is exalted above everyone, how should anyone neglect this wonderful Messiah, this wonderful Savior, who is now here in the flesh? In other words, because of who Jesus is, don't fall asleep or don't take for granted that you know who Jesus is and then rationalize or even consider, well, that's all I must do because now that he's here, I'm done. Uh Uh-uh. No, what's going on is this is an exhortation to pay much more closer attention to those very things that he is here now, which means we are to apply our mind and our heart, right? Our new circumcised heart, because we're born again. We, have a, we, have a, we had a stony heart, now it's a fleshy heart, right? It's a flesh heart that's been circumcised. And then we are to renew our mind to what's happened to us. And why do we renew our minds? The scripture tells us we renew our minds so we understand what the will of God is because that's our new objective is to do the will of God, not the will of self. Folks, we're being urged in this book, the book of Hebrews, to take the message of Jesus Christ very seriously and to take this truth into our being and not just know about him. And if, because what the writer here in the book of Hebrews is saying is, right? He says, we're in danger of drifting aimlessly if we do that, if we only just go, oh, well, he's here, big deal, that's it, now I'm done. The word drift means to float passively. That's how it's used here. It means, drifting means you're just floating on the water passively. You're moving only by the current or if there's a wind or a breeze, right? I mean, just picture this to get a correlation. If you've ever ridden on an inner tube on a river, or gone to those uh, amusement parks or a water park or something where they have what's called the lazy river. Some of them will have a current in them, but you don't really have to do anything. You just sit on your tube and go, right? You have really no control of where you're going, but that's why it usually goes in a circle. So you get back to where you started. See, when you're drifting, you've kind of lost the ability to chart your own course. And let me share a couple of suggestions of why it's so easy to drift. One, 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 one of the suggestions is because drifting is presumptuous, is a presumption. See, we don't do what we should do because we think somebody else is already doing it for us. 
in our relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it seems to all of us at times that God must take the initiative, that you and I don't have to do anything. And in a way, I agree with that. That's accurate. But I want to remind you, God has already taken the initiative by sending his son, Jesus Christ, for us. Therefore, since God has taken the initiative, our responsibility is to respond. We're in a covenant. He did his part. Now we have to do our part. Many of us presume we don't have to do anything and are inaccurately taught that we don't have to. I mean, folks, folks, food left in the refrigerator has never nourished anybody. Heat, the heater not turned on has never warmed anybody. Well, let me remind us of this. The Bible itself, though it contains life, also contains nourishment. Though it is food for the soul, it will never help anybody unless there is serious attention given to eat of the word of God. Are you reading your Bible? Are you reading the word of God? Are you eating the word of God? And you know what? What I find most of the time? No, we're not. We drift because of presumption. We drift because we go, well, I'm gonna go to church on Sunday. And if I go, I'll get the word that way. And, you know, rarely do people come to the Bible studies offered by churches or ministries. I know. I'm talking from experience. We'd have a Bible study and I'd get maybe a dozen. Maybe. Maybe. Out of a congregation of hundreds of people. Maybe. At night. I don't Because they're too tired, I guess. Whatever. And they put these other priorities. And then they come to me with all their issues. And I go, but you're not living the Bible lifestyle you claim you're living. You're not. They're drifting. Okay, so that's one thing. We also drift because we're preoccupied. I was just kind of getting into that. See, just take a moment to reflect on your day. And listen, I acknowledge life is busy. Oh, golly. I know I can get a witness on that one. I just take my own life. I think back to when Candace and I and, and our children, once our three kids come along, right? I, I mean, I was in the Navy, right? We had three kids under four years old. When our, when our third child was born, our oldest was 39 months old. <laughs> so I'd go on six months, I'd be gone for six months at a time. I know Candace, she can tell you, she was going crazy. You know what she told everybody she did a lot? She'd get with the kids and just sit there and they'd want, and she'd be praying. That's what she'd do. She had them all by herself and she'd be praying. So Candace and I have a special place in our hearts for young couples with children and our single parents with children. We get it. Gosh, you know? And then you got, you got a job, you got to raise your children, you have your, your, your relationships that demand attention. You got, some of us have our, our parents that we have to take care of, you know, other people we have to help. We, we have birthdays, right? Uh, some of us are getting our education, you know, doing that. We have, you have bills to pay. That's just part of life. I mean, I get it. It's a lot. It's, it's a very common tale to fall prey to the busyness of life and lose our perspective on what is important and what needs to come first. When we become preoccupied with life to the extent that we have little time to develop our spiritual core, then drifting is inevitable. Let me just share or have a take on this challenge within our Western culture. And I'm, I'm talking about the challenge differentiating, differentiating between spiritual things and earthly things. The things of the spirit, I contend, are, are, are 
are kind of looked at as modest. They, they don't kind of push in on us or don't seem to demand us to do them. They are recommended, but not ordered by this current culture. Are you aware that they used to be by the Christian culture? Do you, are you aware when this country started with the Puritans and the pilgrims that came over here in the 1600s? They had a guy that, I'm, 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 I'm telling you, this is how it happened. There was a person that the community paid. He got hired and his duty on, on the Sabbath was to make sure that every house attended church. And if they weren't, he'd scold them and it, they would get brought to church. Everybody attended. Now, I know we've drifted away from that. I was just, and they would say it's too legalistic. I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying there's a little bit of good about that process We've, we've kind of swung the pendulum too far to one side. We're in, the grace, we're in the grace ditch. I'm telling you, we're abusing grace. We need a little bit more law, you know, law and order uh, co- combination. We don't want to go too far on the other side and get just law and regulations and rules, okay? But there's something we're missing. I mean, listen, there's no commercials singing a catchy tune about the things of the Spirit or they're not knocking on our doors, urging us to read our Bible or pray or tithe or fast or serve or attend a church weekly. Mm -mm. They're just simply waiting for us to notice to whomsoever will, right? Now, on the other side, what goes on in the natural is the media-saturated culture is a constant blast of motivational things listing what we ought to do in order to get along in the world. That's, That's how everything is played out in the natural. And that's why it's critical for you to be in a church as much as you can. It's critical. Because church is the commercial ringing in your ear, encouraging the spiritual things you ought to be doing and making it a part of your lifestyle. But if you only attend church once a month, twice a month, or, you know, I don't know, even only once a week, compare that to what you're doing the rest of the week and what you're saturated with. And if you're not Bible study, if you're not a Bible reader, I'm just telling you, this is the fact. How in the world do we think we got the way we got? We got here because we've neglected the word of God. It's, it's not a priority to us. It's not. It's extremely important to be in small groups where you have some sense of accountability and other people supporting you and encouraging you when you go through some hard times, hard places, or to prevent you from making wrong decisions. Because here's the deal. Here's what you should see. And this is what I've noticed. This will not happen to us naturally. Very few people are mature enough to handle that individually without a support group. Very few. In other words, what I'm getting at is because this is what the scriptures are telling us here in Hebrews, we have to be proactive or we drift aimlessly. Because remember to drift, you don't have to do anything. You just drift. It's a passive word. The word drift, here's some way to look at it. You know what? Drift should actually be connected to the word neglect in this passage. Maybe using the word neglect will wake us up and make us sit up and take notice. I mean, folks, I mean, you know, you, how does someone become a cold-hearted Christian? You want to know how? The answer is they don't do anything. They don't read their Bible. They don't pray. They don't come to church. They don't go to small groups. They don't serve God. All you have to do is don't. Don't do anything. 
and you'll become a cold-hearted Christian. Therefore, because of what we have heard, we must take heed to these things, lest we drift away or neglect to do the things Jesus told us to do. Daily, by the way, he told us to do this, but if we don't do them, we're neglecting them. We're drifting. I mean, don't lose sight that the ambition of the enemy is to keep us away from the very word of God. Let's sure we understand that clearly, okay? So it's our responsibility not to drift and irresponsible on our part if we find ourselves drifting. And if you find yourself drifting, guess what? Just acknowledge it, repent of it, look in the mirror and go, stop, I gotta, I gotta adjust. Make some adjustments. Now, we have really only discussed the first ver- verse of Hebrews chapter two. So let's, let's read the next two verses in Hebrews chapter two, verses two and three. Here we go. Hebrews 2, verses 2 and 3 from the Amplified Version. For if the message given through angels, the law spoken by them to Moses, was authentic and proved sure, and every violation and disobedience received an appropriate, just and adequate penalty, how shall we escape appropriate retribution if we neglect and refuse to pay attention to such a great salvation as is now offered to us, letting it drift past us forever? For it was declared at first by the Lord himself, and it was confirmed to us and proved to be real and genuine by those who personally heard him speak. Oh, wow. I mean, folks, look at the appeal of the writer here because he is really bringing in the heavy armor. He, he's, he first mentions the angels. I mean, he says, if the word spoken by the angels, okay, okay. Well, what is that specific word spoken by the angels? It's the law that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And we are told here that the angels were present in this presentation of the law. I mean, Stephen, the guy who was martyred, stoned, right? Stephen speaks of this in Acts chapter 7. Look at this in Acts chapter 7, verse 53, recorded. Acts chapter 7, 53, Stephen's talking. He says, you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but you didn't obey it. Paul also referenced this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, when, this, when he says, what then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred to had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. Whoa, okay. See, these Hebrew people, the writer of the book of Hebrews is, taking, or is talking to, would have understood, would have understood clearly what, this writer of the book of Hebrews is talking about. And the writer's telling them that in the Old Testament, it's recorded and it's called the Torah, we have an illustration that we need to take to heart. The writer is presenting an argument to prove his point, which was that under the law spoken by the angels, sin was judged and dealt with. Okay, He's, he, the writer's here saying, the law of Moses not only carried with it precepts and principles, on how to live, okay? This is how you're to live. That's what God said. I'm going to tell you, instruct you. Moses, tell them how to live. But it also contains punishments and judgments, right? The law, we know this. The law says do this and this and this, you know? And if you don't, it's, the law tells us this is what will happen if you don't live this way. Under the law, every disobedience had a just and proportional punish, a punishment. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verses 28 and 29 says this, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the spirit of grace? Uh-oh. I mean, the writer of Hebrews here is trying to help us grasp the gravity of this and the sensitivity of it. He is saying, if this is how God dealt with those living under the law before the Messiah came, and there was all these punishments and judgments for not living the right way, how will God be able to ignore those who trampled under their foot the great salvation that God's son, Jesus Christ, provides? Holy moly. I believe this book of Hebrews is all about things getting better. I mean, come on, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, it says, this is a better covenant with better promises. See, too many of us Christians don't look at the glass half full. We look at it half empty. Everything, think about how you process things in life. I'm telling people right now about what's going on coming forth again in the West, in the world. It's coming forth in America about the next thing of COVID, wearing masks, all this nonsense, pushing the, the, the jab, all this stuff. I look at it as what a great opportunity we have. Think about it that way. Look at what can be done. How history can record us standing up against tyranny because we certainly didn't do it well the first time two to three years ago. That's how we, what a great blessing. What a, look at this, look at it this way. Wow, God thinks that much of me that I'm gonna stand up for him and not cower back and obey the tyranny that's going on. That's a way that I just wish people would look at it. I want us to look at the book of Hebrews here and what's going on now in our lives. Christ is better than the prophet's message in the Old Testament. And throughout the book of Hebrews, we are told that all things are better with Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is better than the law and if under the law there was a just recompense of reward, what in the world will happen if we take that which is better, meaning Jesus Christ is better, and we drift away from it and we don't allow it to bring us to faith in Jesus Christ? Oh my gosh. This is a principle that is woven throughout the word of God like a needle through the fabric of scripture. It's all there. It's like a principle of retribution that is on a sliding scale based upon our knowledge of the truth. The more to more is given, more is expected. If you have a big position of leadership, then you better lead. Pastors, stop closing your churches for this nonsense, in other words. Repent, tell the people you were sorry for doing it again, but not this time. Folks, come on. And stand with your pastor if he's not going to close. Stand with him. Stand all the time on this nonsense all around our culture. Refuse to comply to tyranny. Folks, I want to encourage us to listen to Jesus here as Jesus is rebuking the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Look at what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. I read from the Aramaic version of the Bible. This is Matthew 11, 23 and 24. Jesus is speaking and he says, And you, Capernaum, which have exalted yourself up to heaven, shall be brought down to Sheol. 
For if in Sodom had been done the works which were done in you, it would be standing to this day. But I say to you, Capernaum, it will be easier for the land of Sodom in the judgment day than for you. Oh my gosh. What Jesus is saying to Capernaum is that he says, I did some of my mightiest works in your city and you walked all over them and drifted all around them and you didn't respond to any of them. And if I had done these things that I did in Capernaum in Sodom, Sodom would still be here today because they would have repented. Oh my gosh. Come on, folks. I mean, do you remember the city of Nineveh and Jonah? Nineveh repented and was spared. See, we have this idea as Christians that we can escape the chastising hand of God that was so evident under the law. As Christians, many of us don't understand that God wants us to be faithful to what he has given to us. Look at this again in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the spirit of grace? The scriptures are telling us that when we drift away from this opportunity, we drift away from such a great salvation. And it's such a great salvation. Why? Because it's for everyone. I mean, the way I look at this and I see this, God doesn't have a plan B. I can't find anywhere in scripture, anywhere in the Bible where God says, hey, here is this great salvation. And if you don't like this, then go ahead and try this. Uh Uh-uh. No, God's salvation, his great salvation is so great because it's the answer to all mankind. It's for all time and you only need it once. Salvation is an eternal covenant between you and God, and it cannot be broken. God doesn't break promises. We break promises, but God doesn't. The the cost required to make this great salvation available was so great. What was it? The death of Yeshua, the death of Jesus Christ. And the final issue, a final issue the writer says about drifting is it's irrational because it dismisses the message of Jesus Christ, right? Hebrews 2, 3 says, for it was declared at first by the Lord himself. So so Jesus is the first preaching, you know, he's the first one declaring the gospel. And And the writer of Hebrews is only reminding us, reminding the Jews that were there, these people that were questioning this, reminding us today, How are you going to escape if you neglect so great the salvation, the salvation that the Lord himself spoke about? So, you know, an obvious question then would be, since Jesus spoke this, was there anyone who heard him? Well, yeah. And this irrational behavior is disregarding those that heard the Lord speak. Right? In Hebrews 2, 3, it says, and it was confirmed to us. The writer of Hebrews was not one of them that were there to hear Jesus in person. He heard the messages of those who were there at heard Jesus, and he's just passing it on. The Bible shows us one more thing that someone does irrationally when they, you know, decide to walk away from Jesus. Not only is someone disregarding the message that Jesus himself spoke and that the people that heard Jesus speak, but they disbelieve the miracles of God. 
Hebrews 2.4 says, besides this evident, it was also established and plainly endorsed by God, who showed his approval of it by signs and wonders and various miraculous manifestations of his power and by imparting the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the believers according to God's own will. <laughs> you know, I just wonder if we really... I include myself in this, not just, I, I'm saying, I wonder if we really know how much God wants us to know that Jesus is the savior. <laughs> God allows Jesus to come as the message and to speak the message and others to hear the message. And if that isn't enough to convince us, God gives, you know, Jesus has the power to do signs and wonders and miracles. Every obstacle would be removed to believing. In the Gospel of John, you can see there are seven miracles that Jesus did, recorded in John chapter 7. I mean, John, the Gospel of John. I found these, right? Seven miracles. Water into wine, feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, man healed of blindness from birth, healing the paralytic at the pool, raising Lazarus from the dead, and Jesus' resurrection from the dead. There's, a few, there's others in some of the other Gospels, but those are seven that you, I found in John. John chapter 20, verse 30 says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So Jesus, this Jesus did many other miracles, but these seven miracles are written so that when we read them, we realize that no one else could do them but God. <sighs> oh, and one more thing. And because if you miss this, it's likely that you're missing everything. What I'm getting at is this. It is possible to be at church and say things to yourselves like, well, I like this worship style. Or I come because my wife likes it here and that brings peace to our home. Or I like it because my kids like it here, right? Or maybe people say, I like it here. I come here because my husband likes it here. Or I come here because I like the way this person teaches here. Well, we can be so close to it, but drift on past. And when we drift by, there, will, there is no other place to go. Folks, when we lose the joy of our salvation, I didn't say lose your salvation, now did I? Don't misinterpret it. But losing the joy of our salvation, you know what happens? We're miserable. Like King David, the adulterer, who lies and then murders didn't lose his salvation, but rather prayed in his sin. Psalm 51, verses 10 and 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right, preserving and steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Oh, come on, folks. That was after his basically raping Bathsheba, lying about it and murdering her husband. Come on. I mean, many of us don't do those kinds of things in the natural. Maybe we think it, so it's just as important and taking the same vein as God. But I'm telling you, using that example from David, go to David, go to God like David did there. David did not lose his salvation, but only the joy of it. Believers in sin are not happy. Because before we received salvation, we didn't know what it was like to be saved. The writer of Hebrews is warning us that we are prone to wander. Come on now. And we need to come to God with this commitment of our heart to seal it in the courts of heaven. 
Father, bind us to your grace, O God, so we don't drift away. I hope and pray this seeks into your bone and marrow and you, and you get this and this ministers to you. Maybe you can share this one with somebody you know, this podcast. God bless you and have a glorious day in the Lord. Thank you for joining Dr. Candice for today's podcast. For more resources and weekly prophetic words direct in your email box, go to our website at www.candicesmithyman.com, Facebook at Candice Smithyman, or Instagram at Candice Smithyman. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread the gospel.